Kevin Mondro here, Coach Dro, D-R-O. Welcome back to the Tell Me Your Story Coach podcast, the podcast where we advocate coaches and help young coaches learn from the coaches telling these stories. Today, we are talking to Coach Jeff Tungate. Coach Tungate is entering year nine as the head women's basketball coach at Oakland University. Jeff and I go back to 1994 when Jeff was an assistant coach for Coach Garth Pleasant at Rochester University, and Jeff made an immediate impact with me. I was a young player, quotation mark player, at Detroit Mercy, and I met Coach Tungate at a college postman camp that Jeff was one of the coaches at. And for years, whether it's coaching men or women, Coach Tungate has made an incredible impact with the players he coaches. Jeff was the head coach at Lincoln Memorial University at the age of 29. After a successful run as a Division II men's head basketball coach, Coach Tungate had nine incredible seasons as an assistant coach for Coach Dane Fife at IPFW and Coach Greg Campy at Oakland. And when the athletic director at Oakland asked Coach Tungate to guide the women's program at Oakland, Jeff was all in right away. As you soon will hear, Coach Jeff is one of the most down-to-earth coaches that you will ever meet. This is an action-packed 30-minute conversation that is filled with endless advice for young coaches. Subscribe, rate, and review on whatever platform you are currently listening. Remember, we are everywhere. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, and so much more. Please keep telling your coaching friends about this podcast. The bigger audience we can create, the bigger impact we can make with younger coaches. Follow Tell Me Your Story Coach on Instagram, at Tell Me Your Story Coach. Follow Tell Me Your Story Coach on Twitter, at Coach Kevin Dro. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Kevin Mondro. Enough of Coach Dro. Let's get to Coach Jeff Tungate and tell his story. Real quick, before Coach Jeff Tungate's story, I need to tell you about my affiliate partner that I've been supporting since episode one. That friend, Desmond Ferguson, the owner of Moneyball Sportswear. Check out MoneyballSportswear.com. Let me tell you about the gear that Moneyball produces. Men's, women's, boys, and girls sports attire, hoodies, sweatshirts, t-shirts, shorts, you name it, Moneyball has it. Get all your winner gear. I said it. Winner gear here. ASAP. Truly, what are you waiting for? And if you are a high school and or AAU coach and you need a new set of uniforms, please reach out to Moneyball. The uniforms that Desmond and his team create are simply spectacular. Go to MoneyballSportswear.com. Shop away. Enter the promo code DRO, D-R-O, in the coupon checkout. Grow with us. Moneyball, the only way to ball. Jeff, why do you coach? Well, Kevin, I think the biggest thing is to, to make a difference. You know, I know a lot of people talk about making a difference in things, but in my office, every player that's graduated for me, I have a picture of them on the wall, and they're in my, on my wall in their cap and gown. And after a bad practice or a rough game, I'm able to walk in that office and look up on that wall and realize, right, this is why I do what I do. And I think, you know, as coaches, you know, I think we can, it's easy to coach a kid that's a 4.0 from a perfect family that's had 25 other Division One offers and has come, decided to come to your school. But when I look at that wall and I see the kids that maybe maybe transferred from another program for whatever reason, didn't have a good experience, and, and now they're doing great things after they graduate from Oakland, or maybe a kid that, you know, had some challenges either academically or home life or whatever, um, they was able to come to our school. And just knowing that because they came to Oakland, you hope that you, you played some small part in, in them getting to where they are today. I was really lucky having a great high school coach in Dan Fife and you know what he did for me and the work ethic he taught me is something that I continue to, to carry to this day and I just hope that I can have the same impact 
on, on our players and, and their careers. You talk about making a difference. Like when you're bringing a young woman in for, and we're going to talk about here, going year nine as the head coach at Oakland University for the women. But when you bring a player into your office in the recruiting process, like how big of a deal is it for you to tell her and her parents that you will make a difference and you will help her academically? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm a big believer that we're not, we're not, they're not coming to Oakland on a four-year plan. They're there on a 40-year plan. And there's nothing better over the next 40 years of their life to get those phone calls. And, you know, last night we played in Ann Arbor at Michigan and have one of my former players come back to the game. Um, she's coaching overseas and flew back in for the holidays, came to the game with her family just to say hi and what she's doing and things like that. I mean, that, that's what it's all about. So you know, I want to make sure in the recruiting process that everybody we meet with know that we're a phone call away for not just four years, but for 40 years. You mentioned Coach Fife. I just want to circle back to him real quick. What did you learn from him as a player and then following his Hall of Fame career? Yeah, I mean, the, the biggest thing I learned from him is hard work. I mean, he he really, really made us work. And, you know, every day we were in better condition than anybody. We we spent the majority of our practice running. And we just knew that if we could get to the fourth quarter, fourth quarter in a close game, we we're going to win the game because of our conditioning. So, you know, he taught me what hard work is all about. And it didn't matter that, you know, maybe we're in a game where we're undersized or, you know, we knew that we always had a chance just because we were in better shape than everybody else. And that was something that, that um, you know, I, I hope that we instill in our teams here. So when you were hitting 400 for the Oakland baseball team, was it in the back of your mind that you would end up being a basketball coach? Yeah, my it was my sophomore year in high school, 1986. And Tim McCormick's a good friend of mine. And, you know, we both graduated from Clarkston and his, his brother, his younger brother, Kevin, was my best friend all throughout high school. So I was really close with the McCormick family. And my sophomore year in high school, Tim decided to start a basketball camp at Clarkston and asked me to work it. And that first summer working that camp, I was hooked and I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I was a better baseball player than a basketball player. I mean, I could shoot it, but I couldn't guard anybody. And so the offers I had for baseball were a lot, a lot better than the offers I had for basketball. So I knew, I knew my path to saving some money on my education was to play baseball, but I knew when my baseball career was over, I wanted to coach. So, so I started when I was in, in 10th grade. That's where I first got the love of it. And while I was in college, in those days, girls basketball in Michigan was played in the fall. So what I would do is go to practice and then I would head over to Clarkston, help with the girls program at Clarkston um, while I was going to college. And that's where I first got, got started into, um, into, into coaching. And Bob Taylor was the women's coach at, at Oakland and an unbelievable unbelievable basketball coach and did a great job with the women's program at Oakland. And Bob invited me to go to a Don Meyer clinic. And I never forget, I went with Dean Lockwood, the associate head coach at Michigan State. Susie Merchant was an assistant at Oakland at the time, and now the head coach at Michigan State. And we hopped in the car and we drove down to Fort Wayne, Indiana and got a chance to go to a Don Meyer clinic. And I knew right then that this is what I'm going to do the rest of my life. That's funny. I remember at a Mike Roller basketball camp, I think at Rochester University, you were an instructor and I think I was a player in college. And I remember meeting you for the first time. And man, you must have been so young in your coaching career. But I just remembered at that time, you had such a great, even keel temperament. Like how did finding yourself in coaching develop? Well, you know, I think, I think the most important thing as coach is just to be yourself. And, and, and that's a thing that it's so hard to do because I, I think that in the stress of a game and things like that, it's really hard to be yourself. And so, you know, the one thing I've always really worked hard to do is like, this is who I am and this is what I'm going to do. Here's how I'm going to do things. And, you know, obviously in this profession, in, in a tight game or in, in a practice, sometimes you lose sight of that. But, you know, I always just tried to be me and, and, and that's kind of the way I approach things. I try to have an even keel and, you know, I don't want to be too high, too low. I want to, you know, kind of just stay the same. And I try to treat practice. If, if we've had a, a great game the night before, I try to treat practice the next day as if we had a bad game the night before and just try to keep, maintain that consistency with how we approach things. So you mentioned Oakland, you mentioned playing Michigan yesterday, great game right there, nine years at the helm. But what did you learn as a young head coach 
at Lincoln Memorial? You know, I think the biggest thing, I, I, I got the job when I was 29 years old, and Craig Rasmussen gave me a great opportunity as an assistant coach to come down there. And I, I had a chance to work for a legend here at, at Rochester University in Garth Pleasant. He knew I wanted to get into the NCAA level and got a chance to go down at LMU, was an assistant for a year. We had a really good year, and Craig took the job at Northern Colorado, and they named me head coach at, at Lincoln Memorial. And at 29 years old, I learned real fast that, that I don't know everything. You know, you think that when you get the job, but you're going to be the, the guy to take them to the national championship, and you're going to win 25 games every year for the rest of your career. And you realize at that first practice that you really don't know it all. So I think that's the, the biggest lesson I learned. And then, you know, the best part about it is, you know, Lincoln Memorial is a great school. They've, they've had a really good run the last 10 or 12 years. But at that time, we had a $1,500 recruiting budget. And, you know, I, I got to make a lot of mistakes where it wasn't as noticeable as it is now at the Division One level here at Oakland. So it's a chance to really, really make a lot of mistakes and, and learn from those mistakes and, you know, hope to not repeat those with my next opportunity. And when I got the head coaching job at Oakland, I was able to realize that, okay, those things I did at Lincoln Memorial, I can't do now. You know, you mentioned Garth Pleasant. I just had Clint on the podcast, his son, and obviously Clint's doing an incredible job as the head coach there. One of the things about Garth, and I remember when you were an assistant for him, isn't it incredible how many threes that Garth shot like before the threes were so prominent? Yeah, I mean, he was really, he was so far ahead of the game and he was such a great motivator too. I mean, he was just, uh, you know, every day you go to practice, I mean, those guys played so hard for Garth and he's just a, such a likable person. And um, But he was always one step ahead of the game and he always recruited shooters and he knew, you know, and he ran great motion offense and, you know, he, he was always five, ten years ahead of the game. So seven seasons with Coach Greg Campy at Oakland, two seasons with Coach Dane Fife at IPFW. So eight of those seasons, you were the associate head coach at Oakland and IPFW, three NCAs with Oakland. I know you had six players, I think, who played professionally. But when thinking about being an assistant coach, an associate head coach, what do you think truly makes a good assistant coach? Well, I think, you know, some assistants bring drama to a program, but I think the best assistants prevent it. And I always thought my job as an assistant was to do everything I could to prevent any kind of drama, conflict, or anything like that, try to stay one step ahead of things. You know, when I was with Coach Campy and, and with Dane at, at IPFW, you know, I always tried to stay one step ahead because you know, I think in, it would be great if every assistant could be a head coach first. And I was such a better assistant when I was with Dane and Greg as opposed to when I was with Garth because, you know, when I was with Garth, I had all the answers. It's easy to go home after a game and say, boy, if he would have just listened to me, we could have won that game. Or after a win, thank goodness he listened to me, we won that game. It's easy to have that mentality as assistant. Then all of a sudden you become a head coach and you realize this isn't that easy. And this is a lot tougher than I thought it was going to be. And so when I was able to go back as an assistant, you know, I think having that experience as a head coach with five years of head coaching experience, it was easy for me to say, okay, this is what they need. And I know what I can do to prevent any conflict or drama in the program and, and try to stay one step ahead of things to make the head coach's jobs as easy as possible. And, um, you know, I, I just think I was, I was very fortunate to have that head coaching experience before stepping into that role. And, and, I, and I was I was much better at that time than I was when I was with Garth, because it's just you, you have a different perspective after you've been a head coach. You mentioned Coach Campy. So we're recording this on Tuesday, November 23rd. They're fresh off wins of Oklahoma State, Vermont. And then tonight, I think they beat Rice. Like, who is truly Greg Campy? Kevin, I'm not so sure the best psychologist in the world can answer that question. But <laughs> um, <laughs> 
He, uh, no, he's, you know, what you see on the sidelines is the competitive Greg Campy. I mean, he is as competitive as they get. But what people don't see is the things he does away from the court. I mean, there's so many things that he does for people that nobody knows about, um, whether it's donating to a cause and writing a check to help out with those things or, you know, I'll, I'll never forget. We were flying back from a from a road trip and one of our fans had, had passed away, a young, young fan had passed away. And we got back at like three or four in the morning and I had a connection to someone that was, you know, related to the to the, to the whole situation. And I think if I'm not mistaken, I think they had like a, a funeral at 9 a.m. and Coach Campy was there. Yeah. And just because this was a, a real fan of the Oakland program and loved coming to the games and things like that. And, you know, he didn't get any sleep right in the middle of our season. He made sure he was there. Like those are the things that people don't see. And, and he'd probably be mad at me if I, if I shared these stories because, um, you know, th- those are the things that, that really make him who he is. And for what he's done for me, I mean, you know, it, it's it's there aren't too many head men's basketball coaches that would cancel a practice so I could have a practice because there wasn't enough time available in the gym or whatever. And, and he's done that. You know, when we have a, a game coming up, he's like, I'll just move my practice tomorrow. I can change my time. And, you know, we do the same thing for him. But for, to have him so willing to help me and our program, you know, and I never forget one of the most special moments I had with him was our, our first game that I was coaching the women's program. And, you know, we won the game and he's in the stands. And the first person to meet me off the court is Greg Campy. And, you know, I think that's the side that that people don't see, you know, on the TV and things you see, what a competitive, what a great coach he is. Um, but the things he does off the floor is, I think, a lot of things people don't don't recognize what he does. Yeah, Dwayne Stevens told me that next to Coach Izzo, he's never seen anyone that spends as much time with his players. And, and that really blew me away. And I think that was kind of inside baseball. But did you see that? I mean, as an assistant for him or as an associate head coach for him so long about the amount of time that he spent with the guys? Yeah, I mean, you know, he'll, he'll have guys in the office, he'll meet with them. He'll spend time with them. You know, he, he cares. And, you know, I, I think the, the players that have gone on, the ones that come back to visit, I, I think it just shows what a program he runs and, and how much those care those players still care about Oakland basketball. And, you know, it was, it, it was some of the greatest years of my life, man. I've got some great stories and, you know, in the time I, I was with him. Um, but uh, he just, he, he just, he just cares about the people around him. He's a very loyal person. And if you're loyal to him, he's going to give you that loyalty back and then something. Yeah, for sure. So how did you transition? Because I'm the head women's basketball coach at Oakland. Well, when I was Oakland's my alma mater, and I graduated from Oakland in 1993. My wife graduated from Oakland, and it's a special place. It's a place that you know I always wanted to end up eventually. And when I had the opportunity to come and work for Coach Campy and as his associate head coach, our women's program had a change in in, in leadership, and it was kind of during a, a tough situation of some things that were going on at Oakland. Our athletic director called me in the office and said, um, "We'd love for you to take over the women's program if you're interested." And that was a no-brain decision for me. I mean, I. I absolutely love Oakland and I want to do everything I could to, to get the program back going again. It had been very successful for, for many years, just falling on a couple of tough times for a couple of years. And I want to do everything I could to, to build the program back up. So that was, uh, it took me about a whole three seconds to say yes. And, and it was just a, a great honor to be named the, the women's coach at Oakland. There's been some great, great women's basketball coaches at Oakland. And it's just an honor to, to be able to coach at your alma mater. So this is my first season with the women's program at Eastern Michigan. And Coach Fred Castro, like you, is a tremendous man, a tremendous coach but what has your experience been coaching elite level women at the college level yeah Kevin I've, I've really enjoyed it I mean it, it, it it's basketball but you know I, I think that you know relationships are, are, are a very very big part of of what we do 
not just in women's basketball, but in men's basketball as well. But I think, you know, I think chemistry, you know, in a women's locker room is very, very important. And I think the players really care about each other. And, and you know, if, if, if you're on, on one player, you know, really getting on that player and things, the entire team feels it because they feel a part of that. And so the thing that I've really enjoyed is how much how much um, support there is within the program and how much they really care about each other and want success for each other. And that's been a, a really, really good thing that, that I've really, really enjoyed. And, you know, the, the, the women, they, they, they love to learn and they love they want to get better and they love to, to learn as much as they can and, and try to become the best players that they can. So um, for me, it's been a real joy. It's something I've, I've really, really enjoyed every, every second of it. Yeah, for me, it's been incredible just just to watch how like it's a hunger to get better it's it's unbelievable just you know want to be pushed want to watch film want to get in the gym i've just been blown away and I, and I almost you know almost sad and had to really look myself in the mirror and just be like man how did i not recognize that a there's some great women basketball players and b there's some great women basketball coaches both men and women so it's been really eye-opening for me and i know you've been a head coach now for a long time but i'm just curious if you know when you made that transition was it eye-opening for you or just like wow like I, I knew it was going to be like this well I, I've always been a huge fan of, of women's basketball and, and that's when I started my career I was the girls basketball assistant at Clarkson like I said for I think four years and then my first college job was actually an assistant coach at for the women's program at Oakland Community College for Ann Sarah and so I always knew that that was the path that that, that, I, that I really enjoyed the most and so you know the, the thing that I've, I've found really rewarding is when I took the job and in the, in the nine years now I've been head coach a lot of my friends and a lot of people, colleagues and things that maybe didn't watch the women's game as much as I did. Once I started coaching, they started watching it and they're like, wow, we've missed out a lot. And so I think we've been able to really bring a lot more fans to the game and, and people watching the game because, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And, you know, when they started watching the games and stuff, they're like, boy, we've missed out. We've been watching this for a long time. And so, you know, that that's the thing that I enjoy is, is trying to bring as much um, publicity to the game and, and, and get the, the recognition that, that, that our players and, and every team um, deserves, and I and I think that um, you know it, it's just it's just fun to talk to my friends and other colleagues that that are really not now. They to be honest with you, a lot of them watch the women's game more than the men's game now. Yeah, it's super cool, super cool experience for me. You mentioned nine years. How have you have evolved as a head coach? I think the biggest thing is I delegate more. You know, when I when I first started my time at Lincoln Memorial, even my my first few years at, at Oakland as the women's head coach, I did everything myself. And you know, I was going to run every drill, I was going to implement every game plan, I was going to do everything. And I think the thing that I've really learned is you have assistants for a reason. You trust your assistants, and I've learned to delegate a lot more. And I think that's that's made it a lot easier because I think. You know, early on, I've I, I found myself burning out <laughs> earlier than I should. You know, by the time I get to January, it's like, man, I'm tired. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, being able to delegate things has, has made it a lot easier. And so now, you know, I have someone in charge of our defense. I have someone in charge of special situations, and you know, it's just it's just been good that that I've been able to kind of delegate some more things with our drills and practice, and and, and allow other people to, to get out there and coach. And, that, and that's the one thing Coach Campy did for me is he allowed me to get on the floor and coach and and do a lot of things to get that experience. And so, you know, I, I think I've I've evolved that. Way by delegating a lot more. I definitely yell a lot less, Kevin. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I just think that in today's world, it's just, a, it's just a different world. And I think you can fight it or you can embrace it. And, you know, I've chosen to embrace it. And I think our, our players respond better the, the less I yell. And so I, I really don't raise my voice a whole lot anymore like I, like I used to when I first started out. And I think a third thing is I trust the players a lot more. You know, I, I've 
with, with what our, what our theme is and what we do and how we implement it and rules and things like that. I, I, I trust our players and I allow them to, to kind of police themselves and, and give them a lot of responsibility during timeouts. I'll ask their opinion a lot more than I ever would have asked, um, you know, after games and practices and things, I, I get their opinion on a lot of things that I never would have done in the past. So I think trust in players is, is something that I've, I've evolved. And then I think probably a big thing is I have a lot less rules. I remember when I first started, like my time at Lincoln Memorial, I'd hand out this five page type that looked really fancy, you know, rules and do's and don'ts and all that kind of stuff. And, and what I found is that, you know, if the rules just do the right thing and we'll, if you don't, we'll handle it however we see fit. It, it's a lot easier because I found myself kind of backed into a corner a lot with the more rules that I had. And, you know, if a, if a 4.0 uh, kid is late for class, we're probably going to treat that a little bit different than a 2.0 um, kid that's late for class as opposed to having a general rule. Now, both are going to be held accountable, but it, it's not going to be the same. And so I think I've, I've really evolved in, in, in having a lot less rules and just having more and more standards as opposed to rules. Pretty cool. One of your former great co-workers and you guys were an incredible team, you and Saudi Washington. You know, Saudi recently told me it's their thing is do the next right thing so that's just it's just so funny <laughs> how great minds think alike um, yeah Saudi, Saudi's as good as they come yeah for sure and you guys were incredible uh, we're going to talk about symmetry here in the staff in a second but just want to circle back to Oakland and you mentioned just theme what is be us well I, I, I read a book this summer by Brett Ledbetter and if you haven't followed Brett Ledbetter I highly recommend it he's he's incredible and he had a book that I read this summer what drives winning environments and he's written several books he does a lot of different things. If you if you go and look him up on YouTube, there's some great interviews with with a lot of great coaches from Brad Stevens to Gino and and, and every. It's just a it's just a great great learning tool that he provides. And so in his book that I was reading, he talked about the be us. And I thought this is what we need. Like this this is this needs to be who we are. That we're we're just going to be us. But the one thing I wanted to do with it was make sure that our players were the ones to define it. And that goes back to the trust of the players I talked about. Instead of me saying here's our theme. I think a lot of times as coaches, we say, all right, here's who we're going to be. Here's our goals. And this is what we're going to talk about. Here's our theme for the year. Well, the kids aren't going to buy into that all the time if it's coming from me. But if it's coming from them, it's a lot easier to buy into. So what I did in the spring, we have we have seven new players in our program this year. So I met with the returners in the spring. And I said, all right, our theme is going to be be us. I said, but I want you guys to decide what, what us is going to be. And I gave them you know, a little time to think about it, but I had no, I didn't give any information or any, what, what I thought. And then we just talked and I had a dry erase board and a marker and I just let them talk. And we picked out the words that became us. And I told them, all right, these are our words. Now it's my job to hold you accountable to what us is. And I just think it's a lot more powerful when it comes from them. Cause now during a practice, um, you know, let's say we're holding someone accountable for something and you know, whatever. And well, no, you're the ones that said accountability is a big part of it. Not, not me. That, that was you. And, you know, we're going to be committed. All right, we're going to come in and get some extra shots up. Well, I got that. No, you're the one that said committed. That wasn't me. And I just think it's a lot better when it comes from within. And so that's kind of how the whole BS started. But it all it all started with, with Brett Ledbetter and his book. And again, for any coach out there, I, I recommend anything you can get your hands on by Brett Ledbetter. It, it's really, really good. Yeah, I'm going to check them out right away. That's awesome. You know, looking at your Twitter page, you know, you always retweet a bunch of things from your program. But like word of the week, you know, a couple examples, respect, honor 
honesty, consistency, effort, listen, how did this come about and how do you use this on and off the court within your program? Yeah. And that goes, those are the words, the words that are on the word of the week that we have, those are all the words that players came up with. Awesome. And and so what we did was we took those words and we're able to make it the word championship. And so, um, you know, we, we just, uh, we just have those as the words and then they decided to start posting the word of the week. And then during the, the summer and fall, we would talk about, all right, this is the word for this week. Give me some examples that you saw in practice that we did today that um, that had the word hardworking. Who, who was hardworking today? Or give me an example of someone that wasn't. You know, it's not just always positive, but, but either either one. And to be honest with you, you know, what I've done a bad job of, and I've done a bad job of this um, really the entire time as a head coach, sometimes we get to the season and I get away from that. Mm-hmm. And that's probably the most important time to implement that. And I find myself, you know, since you asked the question, I'm thinking to myself now, like, when is the last time we, we talked about this? You know, it's probably been two or two or three weeks um, since we've talked about it last. So we're going to be talking about it tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I do a really bad job when the season starts. You get going and you get with your travel and your scouts and things going on. And at the end of the day, this is probably the most important thing and the most important time to still be talking about these things. And I have a tendency every year I get to the spring, kind of reevaluate what I did last year, what I want to do better. And every spring and my notes is make sure I emphasize our theme throughout the year and never fails. I get to the year and I get away from it. And that's something I've got to just keep reminding myself to do on a, on a daily basis. You know, I mentioned Saudi Washington a couple minutes ago, and I remember, I think you guys had a great player when you're on the men's side, uh, Jones from Okomos. Pretty sure yep, that was John, his name. Jonathan Jones. Yeah. And I just remember running into you and Saudi. Might have been at a junior college event, maybe Oklahoma. But I just remember you guys were so dialed into talking recruiting and like, and I might have been eavesdropping, but it, almost just like respecting each other's opinion in terms of like who we should recruit and evaluation, things like that. But it was just, you know, it was, it was really beautiful to see, you know, like two working professionals with no ego. Like how has recruiting evolved for you? I mean, do you still try to develop that within your staff or like just kind of walk me through your recruiting process now as a head coach? Yeah, I mean, I, again, that goes back to the delegating now. I mean, I, I really trust our staff to, to go out and, and, and find players and things. And so where I get involved is I enjoy the on-campus visits. Like that's where I really enjoy spending time with, with the, the player and the family and getting to know them. And that, that to me is my favorite time. But when we go out and evaluate, I mean, I, I trust our staff. And that's the thing. I'll, I'll never forget my first, I think it was my first year with Coach Campy. I drove to Indiana to see a 6'9 post player. And I came back from the trip and Coach said, what'd you think? I said, Coach, he's really good. I think he could help us. And he said, well, have you offered him? I said, well, Coach, I wanted to ask you about that and see what you think. He said, I didn't hire you to come ask me. If you think he's good enough, go offer him. <laughs> and I always remember that. And I always respected that, that he respected my opinion enough to trust me enough that I was going to bring the right player into our program. Mm. And that's something that I've always, always remembered. It's always stuck with me. And, and it gave me a lot of confidence as a recruiter to know that he had that much faith in me. And so I've tried to do that same thing with our staff to where if they see a player that they think can help our program because they know what we want, then, then go ahead and offer. And and I, and I trust them to do that. And then we'll, we'll talk it over if it comes down to different players and everybody will make their case for what player they think and things like that. But, you know, at the end of the day, if a staff, if you don't care who gets the credit, good things are going to happen. And that's the thing with Saudi that 
that was always so great about Saudi is he just wanted to win. He wanted kids to be successful, and it didn't matter who got the credit. We we're going to try to bring the best players that fit what Coach Campy wanted, and that's what we try to do with our staff is have them, um, you know, find the players that fit our style, and then get me involved where I need to be, whether it's a phone call, or whether it's a, a trip to see a player, or whatever it might be. But um, it's just having that trust on the staff that they're going to find the right players for your program. That's awesome. You know, we've mentioned now ego three or four times. You know, I've always been impressed with you throughout the years. How I've always felt like you've done this without an ego. You truly are one of the nicest people in this profession, men or women. <laughs> How do you stay so level-headed in a profession that at times is so ego-driven? I appreciate you saying that, Kevin. And, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, what we do is not that big a deal. I mean, we coach basketball, you know, and all you got to do is turn on your TV, watch the news, whatever. There's people doing a lot more important things right now than we're doing. Mm -hmm. And we get paid to coach a game, you know, and, and I do think the impact we have on kids obviously is very important, things like that. But at the end of the day, we're basketball coaches, you know, and we go teach kids how to put a ball through a hole. I mean, it's 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 not it's not like we're, um, you know, it's not like we're in, in inventing a vaccine or, or whatever to, to try to make things different. So, um, you know, I always try to keep in mind that, you know, what I do is, is important, but it's not it's not that big a deal. And when you look back on it, um, you know, kids aren't going to remember necessarily your record or the games or things like that. They're going to remember the memories you created for them, the trips you made, the trips you took and things like that. So I just I try to keep things in perspective. And, you know, and I, I think a big help and, and you can probably relate to this. I became a much better coach 20 years ago when I had my oldest son. And all of a sudden you realize like some of the stuff you'd be like, boy, would, would, I, would I want my kid treated that way? Would I want that to happen? And, and so I think um, I think that's helped, you know, with, 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 with a family just realizing, you know, what's important and understanding that those kids have families too. That's a lot more important than what we're doing. Um, so I've just tried to try to keep that in mind and, 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 and realize that, that I'm, I'm pretty lucky to be doing what I'm doing. I always end the podcast. What are some simple tips for young coaches? Well, I think one is just because a high level coach does something doesn't mean you should do it. And, you know, I remember when I first started out, you know, I was a huge Don Meyer fan. I bought all of his tapes, watched all of his, his videos, and, and I tried to do a lot of what Don Meyer did. Well, I needed to be me. And I think a lot of people that you see, you know, they're able to do it. That's what got them there. And, and, and a lot of the legends in the game, that way worked for them at a time that it was okay to do. But as a young coach starting out, if you try to do those things, you probably won't have your job very long. And so I think it's important to, to realize that a lot of things you see on TV, as a young coach doesn't mean you can necessarily do it. I think the second thing is just be yourself. And I'll never forget my my oldest. Um, he's, he's 20 now, but when he was in sixth grade, they had a, a school assembly and one of his fellow students said, be yourself because everyone else is taken. And I've always remembered that quote. And I think you just, you just got to be yourself. You know, everybody's different and everybody's personality is different. Don't try to be somebody you're not. And then I think a third thing would be prioritize your health. You know, that's something that really hits home with me because I've had three three major back surgeries in the last 12 years because you know, early on in my career, I didn't prioritize my health. I was running all over the place, doing whatever I had to do. And, you know, and now I'm at the point in my life where I'm paying that price a little bit. So I think as a young coach starting out, make sure you prioritize your health. Because I think, especially in college, when I was starting out, I mean, it was almost a pride thing. And I'm sure he can relate to this. It was a pride thing where you'd eat breakfast in the morning, go recruiting all day, and you wouldn't get your dinner until 1030 at night. And it was like, man, I made it the whole day without eating. And then you think about it, like, well, that's kind of stupid, <laughs> you know, as you, as you look back on it. So I think prioritizing the health is another thing that I would really recommend for young coaches. 
because sometimes you lose sight of that throughout the course of a season. So I remember meeting you in 1994, by far one of the nicest human beings I ever met. And I'd, at that time, I was like, man, I, I'd really, really like to play for someone like this. And then I remember when you got the Lincoln Memorial job and I was at Detroit, I think as director of operations, you called me. We had a mutual friend in Mickey Barrett about a potentially working for you. And at the time it didn't work out, but I always kicked myself. I was like, man, it'd be really cool to work for Jeff. And then for yeah. years we would play when I was at the men with Eastern Michigan, you were with Oakland. There, it would almost be like this, you know, everyone wanted the rivalry to be so serious, but it was so impossible to be that serious because you, Saudi and Coach Campy were such great guys. And we had such mutual respect, myself and Coach Murphy and the rest of the staff, that the games just kind of took care of themselves, but it could never be personal because just, you know, you guys were just such great people. And, and you know, I, I recently, I talked about making this transition with Coach Castro and Coach Castro has been wonderful and the staff's been wonderful. But like one of the first texts I got was from you. So again, like this 31 minutes, 32 minutes, we've just spoken here. Just so many examples just illustrate just, you know, obviously you're a great coach, great recruiter, great impact with your players, but just a tremendous person, husband and dad. And I appreciate your friendship and I really appreciate your time this evening. I, I know you got a big week here and I'm really thankful because so many things you said today, you know, you took the time and they're going to help young coaches. And I, I'm just very, very appreciative. Well, Kevin, you're as classy as they come and, and I've always considered you a great friend and it's just an honor to be on the air with you and, and, and do this podcast and the fact you're, you, you're willing to give back to the game so much and you know when you were at Detroit I, mean, I used to go watch your practice and then when you're on the staff I used to go and, and still watch practice and, and you guys always did a great job of, of, of helping me when I was a young coach and guiding me in the right way and um, anything I can do to help you I'm, I'm always more than willing to do. Well I hope you and your family have a wonderful holiday I hope your teams has a bunch of wins and even though we're right down the road I'm going to be following you all season and, and I'm just wishing you guys the best of success. Same to you, Kevin. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Jeff. That was a great conversation with Coach Jeff Tungay. As you just heard, Coach Jeff has zero ego. He is by far one of the most humble coaches in this industry. As I have now mentioned in the last few podcasts, I am currently working for a great women's head coach in Fred Castro at Eastern Michigan. And Jeff, like Coach Castro, is a tremendous ambassador of the women's basketball game. I love how Coach Tungate mentions so many incredible people that impacted him in his coaching career. Coach Dan Fife, Tim McCormick, Coach Susie Merchant, and Coach Dean Lockwood, Coach Greg Campy, Coach Sadi Washington, Coach Don Meyer, and Coach Garth Pleasant. Finally, four things that I absolutely love about Coach Jeff Tungate. The recruiting advice that Coach Greg Campy shared with him, big-time stuff. The trust he has for his current players, big-time mindset. The love that he has for his alma mater, loved it. What drives winning by Brett Ledbetter, I just put in my order. Thank you, Coach Jeff Tungate, for being such a great friend, role model, and sharing your story. And like how Coach Fred Castro has done for me, Thanks again, Coach Jeff Tungate, for showing me truly that coaches can coach. Subscribe, rate, and review on whatever platform you are currently listening. And we are everywhere. Follow Tell Me Your Story Coach on Instagram at Tell Me Your Story Coach. Follow Tell Me Your Story Coach on Twitter at Coach Kevin Dro. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Kevin Mondro. Stay safe, be you, keep coaching, happy holidays, and see you on the next episode of the Tell Me Your Story Coach podcast. <laughs>